Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we open up the, your word, guide, and lead us in what you'd have us to see. We just thank for each person that's here and that your guidance and, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Psalm 63. Okay. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see your power and your glory so as I have seen you in the sanctuary. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in, in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my lips shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows hard after you. My right, your right hand upholds me, but those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes, but the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that swears by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. All right. So this is David in the wilderness. That means that he was probably running from Saul or Ab Absalom at this point in time. It doesn't really tell us which of these cases it is. He's, he's out running for his life. David did that a lot. Uh, as much as he trusted God in his younger days, he ended up running from Saul for a long time, and then he ended up running from Absalom, and then he sinned by counting the people, and God sent, sent judgment upon him for that. And this is the lot that David had. And he spent a lot of time fleeing. And in some cases it was because he didn't want to hurt somebody that he loved, and, you know, and he loved Saul. As much as Saul tried to kill him, he loved Saul, and he loved Saul's family, and didn't want to hurt them, and yet they chased him all over the place and all over the, trying to kill him. Uh, and it says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs after you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. And I love this first part. Oh God, you are my God. Do we think about that sometimes? In David's case, he's thinking, you know, there's other gods out there, supposedly, you know, all around me, you know, in, in the wilderness. I've got the Philistines gods. I've got the, the Moabite god, the Amorite gods, you know, but God, you are my God. And I love that sentiment. By choice, by desire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it is but, what I want. But then it's not true. You are my God. You are really everybody's God. I mean, he said it was him, but when you really think about it, like, well, he's mine too. <laughs> <laughs> Yours too. He's everybody's God, yeah. but, but this is a personal, know, this yeah. is the personal statement of you are my God. I was reading in, I was reading about Elisha taking on the mantle of Elijah this morning in my, in my reading. And what he says is, I want your portion of your God. For Elisha, when he started, he wasn't even looking at God being his God. And it's very true, though, the Jews in general do not look at God as being their personal God in the most, in, for the most part. And there's a lot of Christians that don't look at God as being a personal God See, that's for what I'm going to ask you, because when I pray, I pray like he's my God. And then I feel, I feel like I'm selfish, but I, but I, I know everybody else, mm -hmm. too, but I really want to like, you're mine. And this is something about in Christianity we understand. God wants a relationship with us. If we're truly going to follow him, we need that relationship that makes him our personal God. He is my God. He's everybody else's God as well, but, oh, yeah. he's, but he's my God. I've chosen him. He's chosen me. He's not just a bunch of rules that I try to follow after to impress him. Uh, you know, and we see certain individuals in the Old Testament that, really understand that he's their God. 
It doesn't ever say that about jo uh, Joseph, but you know that Joseph in the Old Testament saw him as his God. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, when he had been sold into slavery, he would have said, well, what the heck? It doesn't matter. Nobody's going to yeah. know what I do anyway. Right. So, you know, it's just my God failed. You know, my, my dad's God failed me, so I'm just going to worship and do what I want. Abraham said that it was his God. No, David is my God. Is it when you get closer to God, when you're really focused on Him, like I'm happy when sometimes when I pray, I don't know why, I, cr I have tears running down my eyes, but is that because I'm getting so much closer and I'm Probably. really. I mean, but it feels so. It There's feels a personal so relationship, yeah. it's real. Not all the time I do that, but I'm sure everybody has that same feeling sometimes. Sometimes. You know. But this is not a feeling, yeah, and that's not yeah. necessarily the feeling you have with any other religion because no. you're afraid of your God, you know, the God you've chosen to yeah. worship. And, and David's saying, you are my God. You are mine. I have chosen you. You have chosen me. We have an intimate relationship. And it's obvious David had an intimate relationship with God. And it's the relationship that each of us is to have with God, that intimacy that he is our God. He loves us. And 1 John 4 tells us that we love him because he first loved us. He reached out and loved us, and therefore he drew us to him. And David is making that same expression. God, you are my God. He says, I will seek you early. Early will I seek you. And this is why I always encourage people. We need to seek God early in our day. And because I know what happens. I know what happens to me, and I know that it happens to most of the people I talk to. If you don't seek God early in your day, you'll get to the end of your day and realize you haven't seeked him or sought him. <laughs> you know, you haven't sought for him all day because you didn't start your day. God, I have to have you in my life. I have to have you with me. We get into his word early in the day. We start thinking about him. We pray to him. We start meditating. We start thinking about him. We start thinking about his words. And all of a sudden, our day is different. I'm in a personal relationship with my God, and it's going to have a different effect on me. And other than let me do it my way, <laughs> I'm busy, God. I'm going to just when when I get around to you, God, I'll I'll talk to you. Now that would be like having your spouse, and you you see see them in the morning, and and you ignore them all day. Now, well, I I do that. I see you in the morning, and I leave for work. <laughs> And then, then he goes, my soul thirsts for you. That's quite a picture of this. You know, just this first half of this statement, and then we get to the second half of my soul thirsts for you. Have you ever been to the place where you are truly thirsty and you just have to have something to drink? I get that way almost all the time because I drink so much fluids. My, I get thirsty faster than most people, and I'm thirsty long before my body is dehydrated because I'm used to drinking a lot of water and my iced tea. <laughs> you know, but David says, I thirst after you. I am longing for you, God. I, am, I want you so much. And this thirst isn't just thirsty. He is faint with thirst is what it means. This isn't just, I, I have a thirst for you, God, but I am so thirsty that if I don't take a drink of you, I'm going to pass away. I'm fainting because of this. And then as, there, as the parallel for this, the, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. And we, know, we understand that in this area where the water, the land gets so dry that sometimes it takes a lot of water on it before it even starts running off because it drinks in every drop of water because it is so dry. Now, sometimes it goes to the far, that far side where it's so dried out and hard that it runs without even getting soaked. But he's not quite looking at it that one. He, he's talking about a land that is just wanting water, needing water, and that when it rains, it just absorbs in. And he's saying, that's the kind of relationship I want with you, God. I am so hungry for you. I'm, I am ready to faint. I am so hungry for you, God, that I am just wanting this water. And it's going to be absorbed. And the question for us in front of us when we read that very first sentence is, does it describe the way we are with God? Hopefully it does. Hopefully we're getting to that place where we are just so 
hungry for God that we can't see not spending time with him. And this is something that's hard for me to understand where people don't want to get into God's word and don't read and don't study. And I've gone to people's houses and, you know, to, to visit and we talk about some, something Bible and they go, well, let me go find my Bible. It's always scary when somebody has to say, I've got to find my Bible in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the bookshelf, bookshelf or the end table and they remove, you know, three, three inches worth of uh, papers and, and there's their Bible. <laughs> covered with cobwebs, you have to, you know, uh, and dust, you know, piled over, you know, and it's like, it's obvious that, you know, we're still in the car from, from the Sunday morning when they went to, you know, last saw it at church, you know, it's, uh, you know, but the key is we've got to want God. If he really, truly is our friend, we're going to want to talk to him. Most of us would not sit around and not call our friends for weeks on end if they're truly our friend. I ain't never gone that far without people are daily calling their friends, you know, it's, um, and then verse two, I, to see your power and your glory. So as I have seen the, in the sanctuary God, he's saying, God, I don't need to be in your sanctuary to see you, see your glory and your power. So I wanted you to tear that apart. David saw God descend upon the sanctuary uh, in the tabernacle. He saw the he saw the death angel when they touched the touched the uh, ark. He saw David saw God. Mm-hmm. David, oh, I didn't realize when the when the soldier touched the the ark when, and it killed him. Mm-hmm. He, David saw the angel that whacked him. <laughs> I don't know on that one, but he saw he saw him when he when when God judged him because of his. His sin and he, and and he offered the offered it there in the the field and he saw the death angel stop. David David saw God. David had a relationship with God and he understood the glory of God. And a lot of this he's talking about past glory as well because he didn't seem quite like when they first made the temple of the tabernacle and God descended on it with all of His glory. And you know can can't imagine but. Most of us hopefully have been in a place where we have felt God's glory and his, his, his power. I'm hoping you've been there. Have other prophecies seen God? Like Lots of prophets have yeah. seen him, yeah. Okay. We've got Elijah sitting up on the mountain and the people are coming to take him away and his servants all, all in, a, in, a, in a tither and he says, uh, God, open his eyes so he can see that those that are with us outnumber those that are against us. And the servant's eyes were open. He saw the he saw the army encircling them, and saw the angels encircling the army. So, God. <laughs> God can God has shown His power, but even at that, we should at times when we're in a worship mode with God, where we're singing, we're praising, we're in His Word, we can feel God if we really draw close to Him. And it's wonderful when you get there. Not that we want to live on the emotions and everything, but it is wonderful to be in God's presence, feeling his presence and knowing that God Almighty is there with us. I do, though. Yes. It's not the emotion, not the... Because, uh, first of all, for me, it's really hard to explain. It hasn't happened that often. It's a wish it had. It's immense love mm-hmm. and immense joy and immense comfort all at the same time. And why wouldn't I want to enjoy that all of the time knowing who you love? Yeah. One time I ran into my bedroom because my mother wrote me something she wanted to do, and I could see it because of my imagination. And running there, and I was alone in the house. And I did not know what had happened hmm. because something hit me, fell across the top of me, encircled me, and I jumped straight up and took off running, and I was halfway down the trailer park before I realized I was running away, not from what was happening, but the, the, I did not know what was happening. And it was his whole coming up with it. It was the Holy Spirit. 
And he got excited when I got excited, and I got that excited because he was that excited. And I got to do it again, do it again, do it again. I promise I won't run. That's that word. I like that word. I'll try to use the word. I feel comfort with. Mm -hmm. And, really and in this in this incident, David is saying, God, I have felt your presence, seen your presence in the sanctuary. They had he had broken out the Levites, he had singers, he had musicians in the in the in the in the sanctuary playing music twenty four seven. And the presence of God was there oftentimes because God was telling them that he would be. David says, and hopefully if we're gonna feel his presence, we at least feel it in times together when we're together with other believers because that's when Jesus said where two or three are gathered there I am in the midst of you so we should be feeling him yeah. in this even this setting as we're talking about him we should be able to feel him and his presence and we worship with him and we're and we're honoring him and he comes in that presence and we feel that joy that peace that calmness and David is saying, God, I want to feel it. I'm in the middle of this desert. I'm in the middle of this wilderness. Oh, God, I want to feel you just like I do when I'm in the sanctuary. He's inviting God to be right there with him. And we all need a place where we go and we say, God, this is where I want to meet with you. Uh, we watched the movie War Room. It's about prayer. And this older lady had her, her, her closet all set up for prayer. And she goes, I want to show you my favorite room in the house. And she takes her into this closet with a chair and a wall covered with prayer requests and answered prayers and, and everything. And she goes, this is where I battle for God in, the, in, her, in her prayer. And at the end of the movie, they had a guy that's getting ready to buy it. He's an old retired pastor. And he goes, this room is known prayer. Uh. You know? uh, he goes, this will be my favorite room. It's known prayer is what he said. You know, And it's... And we, we can feel that at times. If we're really sensitive to, to the Spirit, we can feel where the Spirit has been invited to be present a lot. And that's why churches oftentimes have that experience of that God is here. He's been invited here. He's been, this has been dedicated to Him, and it's going to stay His. And one moment, Annie. You know, that's why I like the term sanctuary for the meeting place. It's becoming a, it's going out of favor now with a lot of the newer pastors because they just want to call it the, the meeting room. They don't really want it to be a special place that is designated to God because, and I understand their feeling, it's all places are supposed to be dedicated to God. But, you know, God all through scriptures has asked for places to be dedicated to him. And what happens in that place is that he is to be worshipped. And... So this is important for us that we see the need of having God, a place where God is to be met. The sanctuary was a place like that. The tabernacle, the temple, that was a place where they went to meet God. And it wasn't just a place where they went to have parties and activities and run around like, and, and play the fool or anything. It was a place where you went to meet God. And I like the term sanctuary. I understand it's a lot of times you can't just do, do it. Huh? I like that word. Yeah. Ooh. All right, Andy, you had something quick, I hope? What word? Sanctuary is why I love to sleep. I could go to different houses and rest in the afternoons. It's a lot cooler in there than it is in there. But those pews in a hundred years have heard how many prayers <laughs> and Verse 3, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Loving kindness, another word, mercy. Because his mercy is better than life. Do we recognize that his mercy is better than life? We don't get what we deserve. And praise God, we don't get what we deserve. I've talked with people who say, I just want what I deserve. And I go, no, you don't want what you deserve. If you really understood that what you deserve is, is to be punished in death, you would not even be thinking about wanting what you deserve. And he says, because your loving kindness is better than life, I will 
praise you. When we truly understand God's mercy, God's grace, it should drive us to praise. It really should. Because too often we forget that everything we have is because of God. You know, we ask God for things. We ask for God to do things for other people. And then we forget to praise him for it. Which is one of the reasons it's good to have a prayer list in front of you. And, and when God answers those prayers, you, you say, thank you, God. And you put it in a praise section and you praise him for it. And you let others know about God's answers to prayer. Okay. And it's very important. It's very important for us to do that. You know, uh, something I haven't done as much of as I should have. You know, having a notebook full of prayers and specific prayers. You know, you can't just say a prayer, God bless this person. Well, how do you know when they're blessed? You really don't know when they're blessed if that's your general prayer. God is asking us to really pray specific. God, this person needs to have financial, their financial needs met every, every month, every week, every day. Would you please provide for their financial needs that by the end of the month that they don't have any need at the end of the month? Then you know what's being measured. You know, you know what's being measured there because they come back and say, all my bills were paid, and praise God, you the prayers were answered. They come back and say, man, I got these bills that aren't paid. Then God didn't answer the, the prayer, and we need to pray a little harder or something. But this is something we need to learn. Very specific. We saw the movie War Room, and this, this older lady taught this other lady to pray, and then her daughter caught her praying one time, and she's going, what are you doing? And she's, you know, and then the daughter went to her closet and started making a prayer list, you know, with, with checking things off and being prayer answered, you know. So, you know, it is contagious. When we start talking about what God is doing in our life, it has a contagious element to it. People want to see a God who answers prayer. People want to see a God who moves in our lives. And if all we ever do is tell him, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, well, what's, what's he going, oh, he's not doing anything for me. <laughs> you know, you know, it's no big deal. I pray to him, and yeah, some good things happen. You know, man, you should see what God's doing. I've got, you know, I've got this bill, and here came in this money and paid the bill, and you know, he's given me joy, and he's given me peace, and I'm not worried about my bills anymore. My friends are getting healed. My my health is good. You know, you know, people get say, look at look at you at that time and say, now there's a God that I want to follow, a God Maybe. who answers prayers. Mm -hmm. If you've got to go, oh man, I'm just so miserable. I'm sad. I'm not, you know, I've got so many bills. You know, I kind of enjoy going to church and being around the people, but man, I'm just so miserable. Who wants to know a God like that? Remember when I told you a while ago when I had that customer that lost her weight ring? Mm -hmm. I prayed and I really didn't think I, I went after her. Oh my, praise you, Jesus. No, I did. That's when. And, She's from Tucson, Arizona, Tucson. And she, she doesn't know where she lost it at. And she was calling up all the businesses. And she called me up, I, and now it's like a couple days later. I figured I'll just go out there. And this time, I took my reading glasses, so I went down low, because I can't see squat. I looked, I could not believe it. I mm -hmm. found both of the rings. Yeah. And people were parked there all a long time. And that's when I called her up, and I said, you'll never believe what I found. I thank God because I prayed just before yeah. I, I, I know God. This is kind of ridiculous to pray, but just, but it was not ridiculous to the lady who lost her rings. No, but it could have been any other place. It could yeah. have been an Allen's Vine staff, it could, but it fell out of her car there. But this is why it's so important. I was so. And I and I have shared with this, and no matter what we are going through, it may be little to somebody else, but to us, it's it's a big deal. You know, and it may be little, you know, somebody looking at it may say, well, what a small thing. But no, it is a big deal because it is something that's important to us. That lady losing her rings was yeah. a big deal to her. And that was was it that big a deal? Would I think it was that big a deal? Probably not, but who knows? Well, it, you was, know, it was their grandma, great great grandma's ring, yeah. too. It was from the family of mine. So, and she thought she was never God does these things in his mercy, and it drives us to praise we should be praising God because we have a God that cares. We have a God that delivers. We have a God who wants to answer prayers. He wants to bless us. We don't deserve blessing, but he wants to bless us. And that's a hard to imagine, and yet we know that he does, and it drives us to praise. And then it says, 
In verse 4, thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands unto your name. Yeah. I will bless you while I live. And then it talks about raising up our hands. And, and this is something that for years Baptists didn't do. <laughs> raising their hands up to praise. But God encourages us to raise our hands. And it is a sign of surrender. It is a sign of God, I'm nothing, you are everything, you are in control. Just as when the police say, come out with your hands up, you better come out with your hands up. Now, it is surrender, I see, I have, no, I, have, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to offer, I'm surrendered. I'm not, I'm not hiding weapons, I'm not hiding anything. It is a way of, I surrender, God, I'm yours. And we want to keep that in mind because God is saying this is something that he wants us to be doing. Worship him. I surrender. Okay, I can do it. But that's really what it is. That's what it's all about. Now, it, it can become formalism as well. You just do it because everybody else is doing it, you know, and it's not. But, you know, the, when I feel God the most is when I am in that position of worship and, my, and I'm surrendered to him. And then I will start to feel his presence in a greater manifestation than normal. I can feel them at any other time as well, but when I'm worshiping God and I'm just, and usually you'll see that my eyes are closed when I'm in that, in that one, in that, in that motion as well. I am just concentrated fully on God. And this is why when we're singing and everything, it's very important. And the problem with songs sometimes is we get so familiar with them that we sing them without thinking about them. You know, we sing a song like, I surrender all, and we're just singing the words, you know, and it's a nice hymn and all that. You know, but if you start thinking about the words, I surrender all. You know, am I really surrendering to God when I'm singing those words? Am I turning over to him or am I just singing that some words? song today was about meeting him face to face. I love that song. Mm -hmm. But I can't sing it real good because I go real fast and my tongue can I can only imagine. I can only imagine. But I can only imagine is a really wonderful song if we really think about what are we saying. You know, do we think about what it's going to be like to be in his presence? Now, I can tell you right off the bat that that song is totally wrong because when we're in his presence, we're going to do what everybody in the Bible did and fall flat on our face in front of him. Everybody in the scriptures does that. They get in front of God, they fall on their face. There's not, there's not even a question about that song. It's a beautiful song, but the Bible tells us exactly what's going to happen. We get into his presence, we're going to fall flat on our face because he is going to overwhelm us in such a, in such a powerful way. That's what I'm trying to I'm not doing it on purpose. But it turns out that that's what I'm trying to convey to these children you can't imagine how exciting and splendorous it's going to be. Mm -hmm. But until they get to know God, there's no way they can even com comprehend that. Jesus, y'all pray for me. That's your first prayer. Okay, to convey that to them. How many kids did you have with me? Three. Because until, until a person really gets to know God personally, they can't even begin to understand his presence. They can't even begin to do to get into his word and once we get saved we get into a personal relationship with God we get driven to desire to be with his people we get driven to desire to be into his word we get driven to be wanting to pray with him until we're into this personal intimacy with God we can try to get into the word we can try to go to church we can try to get excited about being with his people but it really won't mean anything until We've come to a personal relationship with him. And then heaven, heaven help anything that tries to get in our way. Come hell or high water, we're going to come and be with his people. We're going to get into his word. We're going to spend time with him because we're so intimately attached with him. And we become one with God. Just as in a marriage, the married couple becomes one with God and one with each other, God is wanting us to be in that intimate relationship where we are tied together at the very soul and spirit level where we are tied together into intimacy with him. And when you're tied that close together, when you're apart from each other, there's this desire to get back. 
that desire to get back into close intimacy with him. And that is a true statement because it talks about the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. The called out ones with a single purpose is what ecclesia means, which is the word for church. Called out for a purpose. We're called away from everybody else for a purpose and as to meet with each other and meet with God. And then we are to experience what's called koinonia, fellowship. And it's not just fellowship, it is that intimate fellowship where we are joined together. Why? Because we are one. We are one body. We are to be joined together as one body in a very intimate way so that we can be presented to Jesus as his bride in oneness. Yeah. It is a very powerful, huh? Koinonia means uh, fellowship, but it's an intimate fellowship. It's a full fellowship. So this is what we are called together to be, to be one body with Christ. We're, we're one, each church becomes, becomes related amongst themselves and becomes church. I don't know if you've traveled enough or been around enough churches, but one of the greatest things about going someplace and going to a good Bible-believing church is it's just like being in your home church because the same spirit is there, the same fellowship, the same koinonia is there. And you just go in and it's like, okay, I'm home. Then maybe they sing different songs. Maybe they do things in a different order, but the same spirit is right there. And there's that drawing together that I am still with family. I am still with family. And you get to the point as you walk in God more and more that the church becomes more family to you than your own family a lot of times. You know, you, you're so tied together and so much in fellowship with your, the church body of Christ that you go out and you say, wow, my, and, it's, and if your family's not saved, you will be more tied into your church family than you will be with your, with your, your actual family. Now, if your family's saved and they're fellowshipping with God, you're, then you're just switching one body of Christ for another body of Christ. And you're intimately in, 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 interacting with the body of Christ, even though it's family. And this is so critical. This is what he's saying. I want to bless you. I'm going to lift up my hands. I, you know, it says, my soul, in verse 5, shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness. My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Now, the marrow and fatness, you know, uh, I don't know if any of you are like me. I like to eat the marrow out of the bone. My poor dog doesn't doesn't like it because I want to eat the marrow out of the bone. I like I like the marrow. It's and and the fat and all that stuff that is supposed to be bad for us in this day. But you know, this was in David's day. That was the the person who got the bone was getting the treat. Okay. So closer to the, the bone, treat. sweeter the meat. Yeah. Huh? Closer, closer to the, the bone, bone is sweeter the meat. The, the, you know, you've got the marrow in the bone. You've got the you've got the you've got a lot of good parts in that bone, and mm. you know, and it's it's a treat. And, you know, and most of us just throw it at the dog or throw it in our bean pot. <laughs> That's all right. So, um, but I love to when I when I carve the ham and everything. I love to take the bone part. I, I do. I I enjoy the the. The, the getting the meat off the bone and the marrow and and it and David's saying that this is special. You're so special to me, God, that that I'm enjoying. I'm satisfied with the very very best. That's, I hope he didn't go. Woo, woo. No. <laughs> but the whole idea of getting the very best. In the fat of, around the edge of a pork chop, which is a poor illustration, or a, a piece of not hamburger. Steak. Yeah, that's been cooked right, and that fat's been cooked right. All right, that is the best part. And and if you try, and you get these people who think I I don't want fat on my meat, and they end up with a dry, dry, Mm -hmm. tasteless piece of meat, and because the fat and the marbling is where the flavor is, Mm -hmm. and this is what David is saying. I am being satisfied with the best. Especially lamb. Lamb, yeah. In those days, they were doing a lot of lamb, so that was really a lot of that. Mm-hmm. That is good. Yeah. There's the flavor in it. It's the part that juices up the meat. And David is saying, my soul is satisfied with the best. Yes. God has given me the best. He's not giving me leftovers. He's not giving me just whatever time he can figure out of his schedule. Yeah. And this is the great thing about God. 
Number one, he's infinite, so he can be with every one of us, completely with every one of us, and that's hard for us to understand even in, in our, in, you know. Every one of us have the complete part of God because when you, define, when you take the infinite and you keep dividing it, it's still infinite. So God can break himself up as, as many pieces as he wants and he's still the infinite God in our life. You know, and I know that's theoretical and you have to kind of understand mathematics a little bit to understand it, but if you break something that is unlimited, it's still unlimited when you break it up. That's the way God is. As he breaks himself up to be part of each one of us, he's still unlimited. Sometimes I'm glad I'm so dumb. I don't have the intelligence to be confused by something that complex. It's simple to <laughs> me too. I know I'm not putting it out. But it is just wonderful because he says, I've got, you, I've got the completeness of you, God. I'm getting the best part of you. And every one of us get the best part of God. And if they're having Sunday school in Japan right now while we're having this service here, I don't know how that works, but either way, they're having just as intimate a relationship one of them as we are. Yes. So yes. And, you'll, and to take it a step further is that God is everywhere and every time at the same, at the same moment. So he's not just with us. He's with Adam and Eve and, and, and David and everybody else all right now, all at the same time, all complete, all complete, all, complete. all full, all, and, they, and everyone who knows him has got the best part of him because of how infinite he is. This is an amazing thing. We can't do that because whoever we're with, we have to be with them at each moment. Yeah, if we're with three people, we're really worn out. Yes. I was trying to explain to Dakota, I'm sorry, I was trying to explain to Dakota this morning how God is just light. She said, you mean he don't have a body? I said, he's light, but he's splendid light, spectacular light, and you can hear him through this light. And then you've got Jesus with the body that you can see and talk to. And then you've got the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are three. They are one. She said, I don't understand. I said, that's okay. I'm 72 years old. I don't have it yet <laughs> And it is one of those things we never will understand. And it says, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And praise, have you ever thought about the word praise? Praise means to make a boast to make great. That's what we're supposed to do to God. Make him great, make, make a boasting about him. Make it to him and make it to others. Now, we need to get to this place where we're boasting about God to the people around us. And this is what I've said, when I, when I was working in this, as a restaurant manager around my people, I used to come to them, you know what God did this week? It's been so wonderful to watch God do these things. You know what God showed me yesterday when I was in Bible or reading or in church? You know, and they would look at me as if I was a complete nut, but you know what? They also knew that I had a God Amen. that was real. Yeah. They may not have understood that he was real. They may not have under, even believed that he was real, but they knew that I believed that he was real. Amen. And you know, when, when you let people know that you're following a God who's real, they may think you're just a joke for a while. They may be watching you to see if he's going to be real all the time. But you know the time when they need something, when they need that real God, you're going to be the one they're going to seek out and say, hey, you know, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how this God has been so real to you and how he's answered prayers. But I need a prayer. I need what you have. Tell me about this God that helped you through your hard times and kept you joyful. Tell me about this God that kept you in, in strong when everything was going wrong. And they come to you and they say, I want to know about that God. Giving you the opportunity to share Christ. And you know when people come to you to ask about God, there's a good chance they're going to get saved if you give them the gospel. Because they're vulnerable at that time. They want to know this God. They want to know what your strength was. How did you get through this? And I can't tell you how many times I got to give the gospel out when people would go, how could you stay peaceful in the middle of all that chaos that was going on around us and you just were peaceful? Because God is the God of peace. Let me tell you about the God that, I, that lives inside me, that controls my life. 
I'm a sinner that deserves punishment and Jesus paid that debt and all I have to do is accept that gift. Would you like to accept that gift of his salvation because you're a sinner that deserves punishment as well and he died for your sins? The gospel is not a hard message to give. We go over this all the time. About 30 seconds to a minute, you can give the gospel to somebody. We are all sinners in need of, need of a Savior, and our sin would send us to hell. Jesus came and lived a perfect life, paid for that sin, so that we could accept the gift of salvation and be able to have him live in us and live eternally in a relationship with him. The gospel message is simple. And as I've said over and over, it doesn't matter whether people reject it or not, because I'm not responsible for what they do with the message. I'm only responsible for telling them the message. The Holy Spirit's job is to get them to respond to the message. That's his job. The Holy Spirit's primary job in this world is to bring people to Jesus Christ and salvation. That is why they, that Jesus said that the greatest unforgivable, the unforgivable sin is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to bring people to Jesus and when they blaspheme him and reject his mission, they've rejected Jesus Christ. And that's what sends them to hell rejecting Jesus Christ. And so this is what he's saying. I will praise you. I'm going to boast about you. I'm going to be joyful about you, God. And I'm going to build you up. I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to, I'm going to extol you. I am going to boast about you. And that's what we need to be doing. Our boast needs to be in him and him only. And this is the most important. It says, verse 6, When I remember you on my bed, and meditate on you in the night watches. Remember you in my bed. Do you have problems with fears at bedtime? Do you have problems with bad, bad dreams and, and, and hard times to sleep? Maybe you need to meditate on God. God, what have you, look at all the what you've done for me today. Look at all the great things you've done for me. God, help. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you, God, for your... Pick a verse and meditate on that verse. Think about that verse. Go over it. Think about it. God constantly is telling us to meditate. And when he's saying meditate, it's not what most of us think, you know, meditation, you know, Zen meditation where you keep humming the same, same tune. That is not what God's talking about. He's saying engage your brain. Think about my word. Consider me. Meditate on his word. Muse over it. You know, it even has an idea of growling and, 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 you know, and moaning as I think about what he has done, what, who he is. You know, this is important for us. How much am I meditating on God? How much have I thought about his word? That's why it's important to meet him early in the morning with his word. Then you meditate and you muse upon that word all day long. And I've all told you about one of my, one of my good friends in Sacramento. He was a great teacher of the Bible. He would read his lesson early and he would meditate on those verses for his lesson. All week long, he'd meditate and he'd think about it. He'd, he'd roll it over in his brain, he'd think about it, and he'd ask God to help him get full understanding. By the end of the week, he had the verse memorized, or verses memorized, not because he even purposed to, but because he thought about it so much that it was virtually memorized. When I go and stand, especially on Sunday morning, because I think more about Sunday mornings than any other message. Most of the time when I stand up to read on Sunday morning, I know those verses pretty well. They're not fully, they're not memorized forever, but I know those verses that day and can almost quote the verses from memory because I have mused about them, I've thought about them. How am I going to reach God, how are we going to reach these people with these verses? What is, it, what is it that you want said from these verses? God, help me to think about, help me to understand. And I tear them apart and I rip them apart and I look at the words and I figure out what the words mean. And then, okay, God, what it, what it, now that I know what these words mean, what, is, what are we going to do with them? And we think about it. We concentrate on it. We Look at the word. Jesus said, I am the word. John 1, the flesh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. He is the one that is going to give us what, what we need to say. He wants us to meditate on it, to think about the word, to, to just 
become so one with that word that what he wants to be said comes out. And it is great when we get, that, get to there. David says, I'm going to remember you. When I'm laying on my bed, I'm going to remember you. When I wake up in the middle of the night, when the, when the watchmen are watching, I'm going to think about you. Or am I so worried about my bills that haven't been paid and I can't sleep because my bills aren't paid or, or, my, or my kids are, are doing wrong things and I'm worried about my kids. Or my cat doesn't expose the <laughs> <laughs> Our animals are sick. Uh, you know, our, our parents aren't, aren't talking to us. Whatever it might be that's keeping us, yeah, keeping us from, from, from that rest. We each have our own. Are we looking into God and saying, God, I want you. I want you. I want what you're doing in my life. And he brings that sweet peace that passes understanding. It's amazing when we are walking in that peace. We don't understand it. We don't know why we have it. But God says, I'm giving you a peace that passes understanding. You are going to be peaceful because he is in control. In some ways, it is perfectly understandable. The more I believe that God is in control, the less I have to worry about anything. Yeah. Because he's not going to let anything happen to me that is beyond his control and beyond what he's doing. Now, he is in control. Whether I believe it or not, he is in control. I can sit there and worry about it and what I'm going to do about it. Or I can just say, God, it's in your hands. You're, you're, you're in control. And believe me, even as I say that, that is not the easiest thing to do when, you're, when, when you've got burdens piling upon you. To give them over to God is not the easiest thing to do. It's what he wants. It's what, and when we do it, it's great. When we don't do it, we suffer. And we suffer needlessly. He's still in control whether I think he's not or not, uh, is or not, he's still in control. If I'm sitting there saying, God, how can I help you? I've got I to sit here and figure this out. And we're probably not that blunt. You know, but aren't we really saying that when we're saying, God, I've got to worry about this because you just... You don't have this under control, God. You need you need my help to fix this problem, God. You, you know, uh, you know. We're not literally saying that, but we really are saying that. God, I'm just going to worry about this until it gets fixed because you just, you know, you know, you need my help. God, you just need my help. You know, the old statement. You know, I've done everything I can do, so maybe I should pray. <laughs> and God's saying, well, maybe you should have prayed to begin with, because I'm the one that's going to have the answer anyway. If we're not putting God first, he is going to turn his face against us and let us have problems because he's not going to let our flesh fix something that he wants to fix. He's not going to let our flesh do something that is his to do. And he will turn his face against us and make sure that whatever we plan, no matter how good a plan it is, fails because he wants to be the one in charge. He wants to be the one in control. That doesn't mean we go and just do whatever we want, you know, but it does mean that we're very flexible to what God wants and that I'm not going to sit there and worry about it because God has got it under control. It doesn't mean that I don't do nothing. You know, God, I'm just going to sit here until you pay my bills. You know, that doesn't necessarily, that's not going to work either because he's going to open doors for us to make extra, extra money to earn, earn, some, earn some extra funds. And he's sometimes he'll if we if there's nothing that we can do he'll put the funds in our in, into our possession, but by the same token he's just not. God, I'm sitting here on this table waiting for your answer to your prayer, and God's saying, well, if you go out there and talk to somebody, you might find your answer. <laughs> now, now, God, I'm just going to sit here in my prayer closet and wait for you to send somebody into my prayer closet with the answer. Uh, probably not going to happen. You know, nobody's going to break into your house, <laughs> break into your prayer closet. So here, here's your, here's your answer from God. You know, that's not the way that he's going to work. But when we pray to him, we turn it over to him, he gives us wisdom. He gives us understanding. He'll even speak to us and say, this is the way you go. Do this. I have a testimony from a friend who was getting ready to buy a house, and they were looking for just the right house. They prayed about this house. And he said, one day, God, he just told God telling him to get into his car and drive. He didn't know where he was going. And he said, God told me to take these turns. And he says, then he said, pull up in front of this house. And just as he was pulling up, they were planting the sign saying, for sale. <laughs> and it just happened to be the house they were praying about. Okay. Now, he could have stayed at his house and kept praying about this house and never found this house. 
Well, he could have done just what God did and, and led him to the answer to his prayers. We need to be listening to God, listening to him in that still, small voice. God speaks to us in a still, small voice. Why? Because he wants us to quiet our heart. He wants to quiet us, to quiet our emotions and depend on him so that we can hear that voice. Because when I'm anxious, I'm running around, I'm trying to do things, I'm not still, I'm not going to hear that small voice. Because I got too much noise in my head. Too much noise in my head doing what I think is good to get it done to listen. And sometimes God just says, calm yourself, put it in my hands and listen. David is this way. He says, I'm going to be there. says, verse 7, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. Because God has been his help, he knows that he can trust in God in the future. And this is why we want to share God's answers of prayer with others. Because that encourages them. It's one thing to read in the Bible all the miracles God did. Because what are we going to say? Wow, God really helped them back then. You know, God did lots of things back then. We read about missionary stories and testimonies from people in the books and go, well, man, look at all the things God did for them. They must be really special back then. But when you're talking to somebody you know and they're telling you about what God has done to answer prayers, all of a sudden it's not back then. It's look, look what God does today. Yeah. Look what he's doing now. Look what he's done for me. And it makes it easier to, to turn to God and trust him to do more. Because it's not just something he's done for somebody, sometime, somewhere, and it was so long ago that maybe they were even more special. You know, but our friends that we know, and we know that they love God, which makes them special, but we also know that they're just like us, and God's answering their prayers. He's answering my prayers, and I look and I say, God, you've been so good to me. I know that you're going to continue being good, and that's what he's saying. Because you have been my help, I will go forward. He says, therefore, in the shadow of your wings will I rejoice. Now, we've talked about the shadow of the wings before. This is taken as symbology by so many people. They're saying that God is like this great bird wrapping its ch chicks up in its wings. That's not what a Jewish person sees when they read that verse. The, they wear their prayer shawl. Their prayer shawl, when they wrap the, pick up the corners and wrap it around, is called wrapping their wings around them as they enter into their closet with intimacy. The most intimate thing that a father or mother can do with their child is to invite them into the prayer closet with them and wrap the wings of the prayer shawl around them in total intimacy. David is saying, you've wrapped your arms around me in intimate relationship, God. I can trust you to help me. I need a different house because I don't have a closet. Um, but get to the point, we get to the point here, to the Jewish person, the closet wasn't some room in there. It was when they wrapped that prayer shawl around them and entered into a private time with God. When Jesus said, enter into your prayer closet instead of being out there in the open and, and screaming your prayers out in front of people, he was saying, you wrapped your prayer shawl around you in an intimate relationship with God and prayed. You know, we, we in this Western civilization think, well, God was telling you, go to your, go to your room and find this, find this room, you know, find that closet where you keep your things and, you know, there's your, he's saying, find that intimate place where you and I can be alone. I have two tiny closets. But finding a place where you can be alone. For my dad, most of his life, he had his desk, he had his mat and his pictures of everybody he knew and all the missionaries, pictures of the missionaries were, that he was praying for stuck on the by the country that they were praying with his little prayer slips around him. That was his prayer closet. And he had his little notes on who he was praying for and what he was praying for. That was his prayer closet, his time when he would go to prayer at his desk, looking at these pictures, bringing these people to mind. Where, where is your prayer closet? That's between you and God. You know, it could be anywhere where you just can be quiet before God in intimacy. For for some people, it may be going up there in the mountain and praying, praying up in the mountain. 
you know, couch in a living room. When you're by yourself, it's pretty easy. You can make almost any place. But you look at this, it says, therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I rejoice. When I'm embraced with you with intimacy, God, I'm going to rejoice. That is where we should be, feeling that. That is why there has been a big move amongst even Christians now to start getting into the prayer shahs and trying to bring that intimacy of the, the prayer shah and everything. And I don't, need, I don't think it's necessarily important, but the idea of having God's arms wrapped around you with his wings. He's a great father bringing you into the intimacy of relationship with him. What would be the difference in a piece of cloth that was solely for the purpose of wrapping around your No difference. No, no real difference. No real difference. The prayer shahs had the uh, 636 uh, tassels around them representing the law and then the intimacy of God within, the, within it. Uh, and it was designed only, for, you know, it was for only for prayer, so. Uh, so you're right, if it was just to have something for prayer, but it's really that idea of intimacy. The intimacy with God. God, I am coming into you. And this is why in Hebrews we're told that we come into the throne room of heaven and we do it boldly. God is saying, you're invited to come into my very throne room. You know, and you think about that. That is an intimate relationship that, God, I can come at any time and visit with you no matter what you're doing. Yes, yes, yes. There's a closet. Oh, yes. Or his whatever coming around. Coming around. You. You're, you're accepted. You're welcome. Oh, you. Some of the greatest executives who have been Christians have, have been good family men and said, you know, uh, James Dobson, Dr. James Dobson said his secretary was told that if his kids or his wife called, it didn't matter what he was doing, their call was to go through to him. Because his parents were, so, his children were so important to him, his wife was so important to him, that nothing in his ministry was more important than them. And I've heard this testimony from some executives that said the same thing. If my kids or my family or my wife calls, I don't care if I'm in the middle of a meeting, their call goes through. This is the God of the universe. We, stand, we come before him and we have the, he gives us his immediate attention. He's the ruler of the universe, and he'll give us the, you know, of course he can divide his attention amongst everything, but, you know, they said that JFK did the same thing with his kids. His kids could go into the Oval Office whenever they wanted, and, this, and uh, secret services were told, you do not stop my kids from coming in here because I'm their father. I may be the president of the United States, but I am their father, and they are to be able to come into me at any time. John Epps spent a lot of meetings under his daddy's desk and uh, his feet. <laughs> but just the power, and this is the kind of God we have that says, yes. I always have time for you. Now, granted, granted he's unlimited and we have all of them all the time, but, but it's that same point that he's making, that he, nothing is going to get him to where he's not thinking about us. Wow. It says, verse 8, my soul follows hard after you. Your right hand upholds me. I follow hard after you. God, I, I am not going to let go of you is what he's saying. You, you may be trying to run from me, God. I'm gonna, if you try to run from me, God, I'm going to chase right after you. I'm going to be right on. I'm going to be right on you, God. You're not leaving. <laughs> now, granted, this is not what God does, but David is saying, God, if you even tried it, I'm not, <laughs> you, you, I'm not turning loose. I'm not, not letting you leave. And then it says, your right hand upholds me, supports me, keeps me up. And a note that it's his right hand, his side of approval. That's that idea that his arm is around us. In, in uh, Song of Solomon, it says, his, ar his, his arm is beneath me and his arm embraces me. His left arm is under my head and with his right arm he does embrace me. God has an intimate relationship with us and he upholds us. Even when we fall, he holds us up. Do that again, how he does that. He says his left arm is under, he's talking, he's talking about being in bed with the, with the, with the bride. Yeah. His left arm was under us and his right arm embraces us. And it's talking about that intimate embrace of the lovers. 
and you know, and it could be the child as well, but it's his intimacy that he has with us. He is not just, you know, well, you can stay in the same room with me. You can sit here next to me. It's literally, let's get the love seat out, and here we are. We're going to be next to each other. We're going to be sitting right next to each other. We're going to be, well, we're going to go for a walk arm in arm. We're going to be so close that there's no space between us. I love Yep. Yeah, there's an intimacy. There's a deep intimacy that he's talking about. Verse 9, let those who seek my soul to destroy it shall go down to the lowest parts of the earth. In other words, they're going to go to hell. Those who start seeking my soul are going to go to hell. That's pretty strong language. David's full of this language a lot. Usually he you know, comes, comes to a conclusion, God, you still love them. But David is absolutely confident if somebody is going to attack him, God is going to be his defense. He understands that God is his defender. He does not have to go out. He says, God, you will take care of me. You're going to destroy them. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. And here he's talking about, some of them indicate that foxes here might be more like the coyotes or the jackals, the things that feed on yeah, the carrion. Jackals. I was wondering what jackals Jackals, they're, they're, they're hyenas, they're, 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 they're the animal that eats carrion. I was thinking jackal. Yeah, foxes, foxes don't, you know, I don't think of foxes as carrion. I know they do, they'll eat anything dead as well, but they're hunters as well. Um, usually, usually, in, especially the modern translations, they'll, they'll put jackals here, but that's hyenas, wild dogs, they eat, the, they eat the carrion out there. Well, I just thought it was like jackalope. I didn't know they had those. Like vultures, almost. Almost vultures. It could be used used as vultures. Uh, cleaners. They're cleaners. Yeah, the the jackals and vultures. They're cleaners. They clean out all the. Huh? Jackals don't. No, jackals don't. He's literally talking about a dog-like animal that that feeds feeds on the on dead things. When you got a hundred thousand men dead out there, how you gonna clean that up? Yeah. They're rottening the minute they die. They're starting to rot. And these birds and animal dogs and everything come in and clean the mess up. Yeah. And it says, But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that swears by him shall, shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. David is going, God, you're the protector. You're the one that's going to keep. Everybody who's, who is on your side is going to be blessed. Those who speak against you are going to be cursed. Those who come against us are going to be cursed. This is why when people come against us, we just hide in God and let him be our defender. We let, we let God defend us because he will defend us. He will be victorious. He doesn't lose battles. And it may seem hard on us sometimes to be able to love somebody who's being harsh on us, but you know what? That love just might win them to God. Just might win them to God and let them come to him. But you but when you're gonna correct somebody you need to make sure it's number one in love. Yes. And number two, somebody that you care about. You don't just go up to anybody and start correcting them because no, of what no. they've done, you know. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of people that, that will read these verses, correct one another. And they'll go up to some stranger in the church that they really don't know. They know they're in the church, but then they know that maybe they've seen them do something wrong. And they start trying to correct that person. That person's going to look at them and like, who do you think you are? You know, but if you have a relationship with somebody and then you go up to that person and say, you know, I'm so worried about you for this. Or, you know, you've been doing this and it really isn't something you should be doing. And you're doing it in love. They may not like it when they first hear it. Might even be irritated, but you know they're going to know that you did it in love because you care about them. You know, and there's people that if they tried to do that to me, and I'm just look at them like, and who are you? <laughs> you know, who are you to tell me anything? You know, I'm going to be, you know, I'll be nicer to them than, than that because I've been around long enough to know that they're hopefully trying to do it for the right reason and everything. But I'll still look at them and and who are you to tell me anything? You know, is what I'm thinking in the back of my mind. Uh, well, we've all got problems. Anytime God puts it on our heart to correct somebody, we better go in knowing that we've got problems as well. 
Yeah. And yeah. sometimes it's because we've already learned the issue. The hard way. <laughs> the hard way. We've been through it and we go, you know, please don't do this. You're headed the wrong way. Like a, a bird where you get, to your, get the, the speck out of your eye first uh -huh. before you came down your bread and stuff. And you know, it's so, the beam before you go after the speck. It's so easy for us to see the wrong in others when we are in that wrong. Uh-huh. You know, and usually we don't this see how bad it is in us. We just know it irritates me because I am having a problem with my own sin, and then I see somebody with the same sin, and it irritates me in them. And their sin may be a lot less than mine, but we get blinded to our own sin. Oh. It's like somebody who wears glasses and they get dirty. And somebody will look at them and say, how can you see through those dirty glasses? And it's like, they got dirty so, slow, so slowly that you didn't, you didn't notice it. Yeah, and they get dirty so slowly they don't notice it. Kind of like losing your hearing. And we, yeah, we lose our hearing. Whatever it is, we adapt to what's wrong in our life. And God is saying, you need to pay attention to your own life before you start trying to criticize other people. And, you know, and this is so important that we be careful because we see the errors in others. We, we see our kids, and the most, things that usually irritate us about our kids are the very things that we have problems with in our own life, and that we were wishing they wouldn't have gotten in the first place. And we see them and going, number one, we know how much harm it's going to do to them because we know how much harm it's done to us. And then sometimes we come down too hard on them because we're trying to correct them, and they look at us and say, well, what's, what's the problem? You do the same thing, you know what I mean? Whether they say it or not, they're looking at us and saying, well, how can you be so hard on me? I, you know, you're the one I learned it from. Right. You know, whether they say it or not, that's what's in the back of their mind. Well, I And we do, we teach very well on the, uh, we teach very really well on the bad stuff we really wish they didn't pick up. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at you, Lord. We ask that you help us learn to have an intimate, close relationship with you. That we learn that how much you care about us and love, about, love us and that we will show that love to others. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>